0: Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. We often talk about pretty old history on this show, but today's topic may be familiar to some listeners out there. We're covering one of the most scandalous elections in recent Minnesota history, the gubernatorial race of 1990. That year, Republican Arne Carlson unseated Democrat Rudy Perpich, the state's longest-serving governor, after being added to the ballot at the last minute. What made things so unusual was that Carlson hadn't won the primary. He only earned a spot on the ballot, After the Republican endorsed candidate John Grunseth ended his campaign just nine days before Election Day amid scandalous allegations. It was such a momentous political event that at least one of the people involved is still pondering it. Bill Hanley was an executive at Twin Cities Public Television, which aired the only debate of the general election 11 days before Election Day. It remains the highest-rated, locally-produced show in TPT history. Hanley oversaw the debate and wondered whether their decision to allow Carlson to participate may have been decisive in Carlson's victory. He submitted this question to Curious Minnesota, which is why we're talking about it today. And we're going to hear from Bill in a little bit once uh, we give a little bit more context about what this race was all about. Today, I'm talking with veteran Star Tribune reporter, Randy First, who both covered portions of this campaign and wrote a story on this question for Curious Minnesota, which I will link to in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Randy. Welcome. I'm here with Randy First, who is, I think, one of the longest serving reporters at the Star Tribune. You've been here for 49 years. Is that right? like That's right. Like that? 49. Amazing. Uh, <laughs>
1: it's amazing to me when they I, Got hired at the paper. They said, I hope you stay five years. I looked at him and thought five years you think I'm gonna stay here five yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so we're gonna be we're rewinding to 1990 so I yeah. was uh, three years old in New York so I have no personal memory of this and I event. was
1: about 44 years old okay I
0: Randy and I have always been the sort of young and old duo in the newsroom yeah, I think that's right uh, I used to help you set up your phones and <laughs> yeah, things
1: you like were that. my you were my geek for yeah. everything uh, you're, you're an amazing geek
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so Here we are talking about an election that happened a little under 30 years ago because it was such a momentous thing. So let's start with Rudy Purpich is the longest serving governor in Minnesota history at this point. Sort of set the scene for us here. It's 1990. Mm -hmm. What's the political vibe heading into this election? You know, we've got this longest serving governor. He's a Democrat. Um, What are people thinking?
1: Well, Purpich is a very popular governor. He's from the Iron Range. Uh, he got elected once then he lost in the next election then he came back and won again he uh, appealed to the working class and uh, he was a little I- idiosyncratic in some of his, mm-hmm. his things but this is a guy that you know looks like he's going to be elected to another term oh, okay uh, on the other hand he's got uh, a uh, an opponent who is new to the political scene he was uh, John Grunseth. Mm-hmm. John came out of Ecolab, where he was a vice president for public relations, and he's a conservative guy, and he decides he's going to run for governor. Yeah, He's got a lot of support, including uh, Tim Pawlenty, who later uh, became governor, too. Okay, And there's a primary. Yeah, he, he faces off against Arnie Carlson, who was a state auditor, Arnie is a more liberal guy, mm-hmm. he's pro-choice, and he's actually had endorsement of one or two labor unions mm-hmm. when he r- ran for auditor. And the more conservative Grunseth swamps him in the uh, primary. Oh, okay. So the face-off now will be John Grunseth versus Rudy Purpich. in the general election.
2: Right.
0: And so, you know, basically we're in October or sort of October-ish 1990 when things start to go south for... And it starts with a, a, you know one of these classic big front page days at the Star Tribune where I, I think it's the headlines which we have on the story is allegations rock governor's race or something like that. So what are these allegations? Because we have to go back to Hastings in 1981 uh, as part of this story.
1: Eight column headline on the front page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go to Hastings. Two w- women in their early 20s came to the newspaper and spoke with a reporter named Alan Short. Mm-hmm claiming that nine years before, when they were teenagers, 13 years old or so, they participated in a pool party at John Grunseth's house uh, on a Saturday night in uh, Hastings. Okay. And that uh, they said, as it got later, Grunseth suggested that everybody take off their clothes and do a nude swim. Okay, And Grunseth disrobed. And others disrobed, and these two 13-year-olds, they did not disrobe. They were swimming in the pool. It's around midnight. And one of them, the 13-year-old, claims that John Grunset swam up to her and tried to remove a strap from her bathing suit and tried to touch her still-covered breast, Okay. Uh, at which point she swam away and c- quickly got out of the pool. And here we are with this allegation nine years later. If she signs an affidavit alleging this happened, uh, so does uh, one of her friends. And the Star Tribune has a couple of other affidavits supporting other elements of this. Right. Grunt says, denies the whole thing completely, right. says it never happened. His daughter, who was a friend of one of these women, she denies that it ever happened. Right. So that's on the front page, and it shakes up the campaign big time.
0: And we're about a month out or two weeks out from three, the- Three
1: weeks out at this point.
0: Three <clears throat> weeks out, so we're, we're heading into the final days before election day. So what's sort of the fallout from this? I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right, that this is on the front page that close to election day? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Arnie Carlson starts getting encouragement to jump into the election again. Okay, so he starts a write-in campaign. Okay, for governor. Well, that something like that is. Unlikely to succeed, but it's he's has this writing campaign, and Grunseth is getting dogged by the media more and more. Okay, in fact, the same day that the Star Tribune expose ran, mm-hmm. there was an interview that ran in the Sunday edition of the Pioneer Press. Okay, by Bruce Orwell, they interviewed Grunseth, and during the interview, they asked him about rumors that Grunseth was involved in affairs, and Grunseth readily admitted that he was involved in a, affairs, but said this is the kind of thing I think that a warm-blooded American did, and this was before he was married.
0: Right, said he was a warm-blooded American male, yeah, or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, which uh, is not a line that really helped him, I think, with women in Minnesota. In fact, uh, his campaign manager later wrote in a book that that may have hurt him more than the Star Tribune expose.
0: Okay, so just to set the scene, we're like a couple, we're, we're not that far out from the election, suddenly the leading Republican candidate has got first the pool party allegations, but now we're talking about, you know, extramarital affairs. So he's got two things that he's kind of dealing with. And then suddenly his old challenger is back in the race as a write-in. And that's where the debate comes in,
2: right?
1: Right. So they have a debate. It's about 11 days before the election. And in this debate, you have Grunseth, Perpich, and Carlson. Well, mm-hmm. how did Carlson get in? Channel 2 had a rule yeah. at that time. You had to score at least 5% in a poll mm-hmm. to get into a debate. Yeah. Well, Carlson was not scored at 5% because there had been no polls on Carlson's support. Yeah. But Hanley, you know, looked it over and finally made a decision. He, uh, he agonized over it, but decided he was going to include Carlson. He's in
0: still it. agonizing over it. <laughs> it well, I don't know. Like I think he
1: degree. may be feeling better after this article. Oh, okay. we ran but out. he's still
0: thinking about it.
1: He, uh, yeah, he is. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, let's hear a little bit from Bill about his experience behind the scenes.
3: The thing that always bugged me about this 1990 gubernatorial debate was simply the fact that there were so many coincidences about it that really Led me to wonder whether, in fact, it couldn't have been decisive in that Carlson victory. The, the coincidences were extraordinary. I mean, one of them was the fact that uh, as the campaign went ahead, either the Purpich campaign or the Gruncef campaign canceled all of the other debates. So, League of Women Voters, all the normal sort of debates were canceled. KTCA, TPT, public television, had one scheduled, as we always did, very, very late in the campaign. So they canceled all these debates, but they never canceled ours. And I sort of expected sitting in my office that they would eventually cancel ours, but they didn't. You know, we ended up being so late in the campaign that the extraordinary charges about Grunseth and the Pool Party and all of that stuff sort of took place in the week or so prior to this debate. And the the attention uh, toward that debate became kind of white hot just because everybody was interested. We ended up in a situation where the night before the debate, it was widely anticipated that Grunseth would withdraw from the campaign, leaving the Republican slot to presumably Arne Carlson, who at that point was a write-in candidate. That didn't happen on the evening of the 26th, and so I was left to sit in my office And figure out, well, do we allow Arne Carlson to be in this debate, even though Grunseth is also still in the campaign, even though involving Arne Carlson would be a violation of our longstanding rule that would require 5% performance in a neutral debate, simply because his entry into the campaign was so late. There was no polling. We didn't have any numbers. We didn't know where he was.
0: And sort of what's the setup? So there's a normal part of the debate and then they cut to sort of the more, you know, allegations part of the debate, right? Like, I mean, how does it kind of go for these candidates?
1: Well, they're being interviewed by uh, local reporters, and according to the people who were th- there at the debate, mm-hmm. Perpich and Grunseth seemed very uptight. Yeah. Like they didn't want to be there. Perpich kept looking at his watch. Grunceth had his f- hand in a fist. They were uptight. Carlson seemed very relaxed. The general assessment is that Carlson gained from it because he was able to respond well to the questions and look like a respectable candidate yeah there were the uh, denials from Grunthus that the sex scandal had ever occurred Mm -hmm. the pool party specifically right the pool party yeah and accusations that perpich might have been involved which perpich Adamantly denied.
0: Yeah, and so there's one sort of particular moment that happens in the debate is that Linda McDonald, uh, who's with the Pioneer Press, is also a neighbor of mine. She asks him specifically about that warm-blooded American male comment, and here is Grunseth's response.
2: Let me ask you, Mr. Grunseth, uh, w- there was an article in the paper recently where you acknowledged that there was a period of your life, that the wild years, where there was drinking and there were lots of relationships with women and you said, well, I acted as a red-blooded American male. Um, I'm wondering if you—if if that suggests that we should forgive and forget that that's understandable, and particularly as somebody who is running under the banner of family values, um, I, I wonder whether those two things are really consistent.
1: Well, first of all, the uh, the legend of John Grunseth has been uh, grossly exaggerated, I might add. Secondly, there are things that I've done in my life that I wish I hadn't done, and I think that uh, Uh, That's not unlike uh, most of us, Uh, but that was some time ago, and uh, that's history in my book. I have to follow up, though, and I I have the article that Linda's referred to before me, and you do say that there was a period in my life through the late 70s and early 80s, which is not quite 10 years ago, when, quote, I was very much a warm-blooded American male. What did you mean by that? I meant that I dated a lot, uh, Karen, if you will, and I don't think that's out of the uh, out of the ordinary.
0: Did this uh,
2: include the period when you were still married to your first la- first wife?
1: No, this is a period well separation and divorce.
0: So the the debate happens, but this isn't the end of the allegations, right? There's more there's more more shoes to drop.
1: There are more shoes to drop. Yeah, seeing these reports, a woman comes forward who claimed that she had had an extramarital affair with Grunceth throughout the 1980s, throughout his first marriage, throughout his second marriage, and only the year before had gone to bed with him in a, a hotel room in Washington, D.C. Okay. And uh, reporter Paul McEnroe had dug up a receipt from the hotel showing that Grunceth had stayed the night, and another woman who was at the dinner beforehand with Grunceth said they had gone off to to the hotel room together.
0: Okay. And so before we say what happens next, you at this point are basically on Grunseth watch, right? Because there's all these, people are thinking Grunseth might drop out at any moment. It, let's, this is a little bit before this story comes out, right? But what what are you doing during this period?
1: Well, during that period, I'm following Grunseth wherever he goes. That was my assignment because, mm-hmm. you know, at any point, any point he might quit. At one point I'm in my car following his car being driven by his driver. And the car goes shooting through an intersection at Snelling Avenue. And I I look to the left and right and say, what the heck? And I drive through the red light right after him. (laughs) And uh, this continues. Uh, He eventually pulls up in front of the Griggs building. In uh, St. Paul. In St. Paul, the driver lets Gruntheth out of the car. Uh, I quickly park and run after Grunseth into the Griggs building and chase him, and Grunseth runs out the other side of the building, (laughs) and the driver is there sitting with his car, and Grunseth jumps into that car and takes off. So they pulled a fast one on you. They sure did. <laughs> uh, I then figured out where he was probably headed, mm-hmm. uh, which was another hotel where they had their operations. And I found the room up on an upper-level floor where they were meeting. The door was open. I looked in. Sure enough, they were there. Yeah. And it's reported in this book on the history of that election, uh, written by his campaign manager, that Randy Furst stood outside the room lurking.
0: Lurking. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you have a reputation for being a dogged uh, reporter. So, uh, yeah. So, okay. Then, basically, this story that we just mentioned about the specific allegation, the hotel in Washington, all that stuff, that comes out, and then what? This is the big finale, but what happens?
1: Well, eight hours after the Star Tribune reports the story of the affair mm-hmm. in the Sunday paper, Grunseth drops out of the race. The wow. heat is too much.
0: Yeah, it's nine days, right, before yeah. the election. Yeah. Wow.
1: So there became a whole series of debates. Does Carlson automatically become the. Uh, Republican candidate. The Republican Party didn't seem to know what to do. Yeah. Said it didn't have any rules on how to handle it. There was a Supreme Court decision, and Carlson gets into the race as the Republican candidate. As the runner-up. And uh, the state has to hastily reprint the ballot, which they do. Uh Uh-huh. And surprise of surprises... Carlson wins.
0: Wow, it's by, by not very much, right?
1: Well, not by much, by about 60,000 votes, 3%. And purposes is defeated and Carlson wins and actually goes on and serves four years as governor and, and actually uh, gets elected for a second term.
2: Right,
0: and then the coda to this story is that Grunseth like leaves Minnesota, leaves the country, and basically has a second life. And you found him in Scotland. but wh- where did he all, because that was like the third place he went. So where did he all go after after this whole debacle?
1: I tracked Grunseth down through some emails, and uh, I'm grateful that he actually returned my emails. I was a little surprised that he did, but he did. He w- went to Australia, worked in a telecommunications operation, mm-hmm. and then he bought a cherry orchard in Tasmania. Okay. Where he appears to have made a killing on cherries. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he becomes which, a
2: big
0: exporter of cherries.
1: Yeah, throughout Asia, yeah. a portion of Asia, and then sells the orchard. And in his travels, meets this uh, woman in Nice, in France, and they get married, and now they're settled in uh, in a little island off of Scotland.
0: Where they make excellent scotch, he said, right? Yeah, <laughs> not right. Th- not the couple, but the people in that area. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Grunza thinks the Star Tribune cost him the election, and the debate had no impact whatsoever.
0: Oh no, we did it. <laughs> it was the pay. it was the newspaper.
1: oh yeah, he thinks it was a very dirty deal, and he he thinks we were completely unscrupulous in reporting these false allegations.
0: And he still maintains that the Hastings uh, event never, it was not as described. Let's just say exactly what he said, since it's important to have his side of the story here. He said that the pool party was BS and the mother of all hit jobs. It took a very innocent 4th of July party and used it to portray me as something evil. As to the affair, I never denied it. What was in contention was when, where, etc. And what he said, what determined the events of the day is what Alan Short and Paul McEnroe wrote with the blessings of their editors. So putting the blame on the Star Tribune. But then he sort of adds, now I've had, ironically, thanks to the Strip, an amazing life since 1990. So thanks. <laughs> so just a nice coda to yeah, this whole yeah, tale.
1: Yeah, like he appreciates what we did for him. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Randy, this is a fascinating story. Thank you for telling it both in the column of Curious Minnesota and here on the podcast because I think it's, you know, I had never heard this tale. I, I wasn't here at the time, but I had never heard this tale before.
1: So. Right. Well, you, you, you've met Paul McEnroe, who yes. was, a, you know, an outstanding investigative reporter. Yeah. And I don't know that you ever met Alan Short. No, I
2: didn't.
0: uh,
1: But there was some dogged journalism during that thing.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Randy. Okay, that's it for today's show. So I realized after we recorded this conversation that we didn't dive much into the question of whether the debate helped Carlson win the election. A number of political experts and people involved, including Carlson himself, said in Randy's story that they did think the debate impacted the outcome of the race. So I invite you to read more details about that in the story, which I will link to in the show notes. Thanks as always for tuning in. And remember that we want to hear from you with questions and feedback at curious at startribune.com. And if you like this show, please tell a friend. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until
2: next time, stay curious.